Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. You know, this week we are going to be talking all about the body's response. And what I mean by that is how the nervous system interacts and works in relationship and how do we begin to do the work to heal that. And this is a more recent experience of my own, which is the adventure of understanding the like edges of when my body goes into reactivity and how in some ways I've trained myself to not even notice it or to like ignore these body responses that say, hey, like delay a game, delay a game, like hold on a second, just pay attention here. And I'm like bulldoze past that or when it's giving me valuable information and I've devalued that information in my past. And so learning how to pay attention to the body again. And also if we are someone who gets hyper activated as if the nervous system is always activated, how do we actually bring it back down? You know, so it's like this idea of getting back into relationship with our nervous system and our bodies if we've been disassociated and also getting uh, dialed down a bit and, and learning how to regulate. And this is the dance in relationship, how two peoples and more, but two people, their nervous systems actually feed off each other and can like we sense on a very unconscious level all these threats and fight, flight, freeze, and all the things that are occurring like on an unconscious level, we're constantly surveying for safety and security in relationships. And so, you know, you've heard me speak before about attachment and what that even means, attachment theory. And if you've never read the book Attached, it's an incredible book, a great book that I would recommend to everyone to start with. And then, of course, there's deeper dives that we can go in beyond that in terms of attachment theory and how and different ways that relationships are organized and ways of understanding the organization of relationships. So in the context of attachment theory, it is that our attachment system is constantly surveying for safety and security. And so it's this opportunity for us to learn how do we, when we sense there's a lack of safety, do we get anxious and chase? Do we pursue or do we withdraw? 
so anxious or do we get avoidant and withdraw and shut down or do we go between both? And, you know, the defining characteristic of a secure attachment is my partner's needs matter as much as my own, not more than my own anxious attachment, not less than my own avoidant attachment. And again, I'm generalizing these things. Attachment avoidance style is broken down into two types, fearful and dismissive, and there's many different nuances to attachment. But what this episode strictly is about, the nervous system, and understanding more about your body and its wisdom, and your wisdom, because that's what it's all about, is, is, is beginning to see how brilliant you truly are, beginning to see that the information already lives within you. And I'm so excited that I got to interview somatic therapist, Nicole Lose, and she's just an incredible human being. So before we begin, though, please, wherever you listen to this, subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star review and a written review. That's so helpful for me and to get it in more people's ears. And it just, you know, helps uh, bump up the podcast on the rankings. You know what I'm saying? So I'd appreciate that in exchange for all the time and energy I put into this. So without further ado, here is Nicole Lose. Today, I am joined with Nicole Lose, who is a somatic therapist. She is also a Feldenkrais practitioner. Don't worry, we're going to figure out what that is. And a yo- all things yoga. So welcome. Thank you, Mark. So for the people, we're going to get into the somatic stuff today. Uh, although is related is what is a Feldenkrais? Christ practitioner, which I was like, Christ, like, whoa, wait, is this a Christianity practitioner? What is it? Yeah. Where it's not a religion or a cult. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us more what that is. So Feldenkrais is a movement-based practice. It's named after Moshe Feldenkrais, who is the founder of the method. And ultimately, it's about exploring our patterns and habits within movement and learning how to be more efficient with how we use ourselves. So ultimately. The method back in the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, it was in a way the beginning of neuroplasticity. He was using movement as a way to change how the nervous system and the brain were communicating to allow ourselves to come back to the organic way of moving, moving the way we were designed to move. In a way, he was using movement to not only change our patterns within movement and learning how to be more effective and efficient in movement, but also using movement as an in to allow people to get to know themselves better. And what I really value about the practice is we all move. We all know movement. We can all relate to movement. So it's a really cool way to get to know like, oh, what do I do and how can I do things differently? Yeah, it's really interesting to think about starting to have that proprioception, like starting to think about your movement, think being conscious of it rather just than automated and robotic or constricted. So is it, if I'm understanding this correctly, it becomes through the observation and the intentionality of your movement, you then sort of open a gateway to awareness around your nervous system and things like that. Is that right? Yeah. Awareness and organically things will change because we're always looking for what's easiest. Our system is looking for what's easiest. So yes, we're consciously aware of these movements, but also physiologically, we're also making these shifts and these changes. So our body starts to perform differently. 
So it's like, oh, I learned how to move this way because of whatever, because I was modeled this or because of injury or because of some sort of restriction I had in my life. But that doesn't mean I have to continue to move that way. I can actually move more organically and more naturally, more the way we were designed to move. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know when I broke my leg when I was in my mid-20s, it took so much intentional, conscious thought to get my leg and the muscles to work again in a similar way. And still, sometimes I can see like the way that my quad fires is just not exactly what I need. And I have to be really, it actually is insane the amount of energy it takes to focus on the firing of a muscle. Like I know going to physio and they're like, poke a spot and they're like triggered this muscle and I'm like oh it feels like I'm I'm like yeah like it's so interesting to see how many things we take for granted how many functions are occurring uh so unconsciously and of course you know that's all ultimately where the somatic work also comes in exactly so was that pre like was that which came first the chicken or the those the the thousand you know, parts. Well, yoga came first. And then yeah. with yoga, I always felt like something was missing within my practice and I was seeing things, but not really able to address them. So I got curious about Feldenkrais and that's what allowed me to get more of a sense of how people were moving and what was happening at a grander scheme of things. But then to me, still something was missing. Like I was still feeling like I was just supporting people on the surface. And that's when I got into somatic experiencing was like for me the work was the missing link where it was like how do we not only learn how to pay attention to ourselves relative to movement but how do we also become more familiar with the language our body speaks and how do we start to support that and listen to that from a totally different perspective yeah and for those of you listening the Nicole has been my somatic experiencing interventionalist. And (laughs) I've had such an incredible experience of dancing on the edge of like where my nervous system gets reactive. And it's been such a beautiful opportunity to observe, to observe and, and just how you guide back and forth over and back of the edge because we so often just go over the edge and don't even think about it. And then all of a sudden we slam a door and our relationship's over. <laughs> We're like, what yeah. the hell just happened? <laughs> totally. uh, but there's Why so did things many. Up? <laughs> right. And we don't yeah. realize like you're observing the fuse mm-hmm. rat, and then stopping it, you know, like putting your fingers on it like you do with a candle. Okay. So for, for the service of all of us, mm-hmm. maybe you could walk us through what is somatic experiencing and and why is it beneficial? Why is it this like new, although not new, but new to the mainstream, uh, you know, it's like the, the new, cool, awesome intervention that I think a lot of people are saying, I'm getting so much benefit from this without having to do or in conjunction with talk therapy. Mm-hmm. I'll start with that. Like why it's becoming more popular. I think there's a number of reasons one, people seem ready, right? There's this readiness where people are keen to dive in. People are keen to understand. People are trying to make sense of self and get to know self more. So I feel like there's this readiness that's in the air, for lack of better words. It's just this feel where people are really curious. So that's one thing. Another reason why I think it's 
becoming popular or more people are finding it helpful is because it works. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I, I'm the testimonial. It has been so helpful. Yeah. And I think there's been a lot of exploration of like trying to figure things out, whereas this is such an organic process of how to just get more comfortable and familiar with allowing your system to do what it's designed to do and to support what is instead of having to figure it out, instead of having to know the answers, it's this opportunity to really get more familiar with self and, and support what's happening instead of having to worry about all these modalities or ways on how to fix something. It's like, no, how do I just support what is? So that's kind of why I think more and more people are being drawn to it because it is so organic and it's, you know, it's in us to know, we know, right? And we just need to learn how to support that and explore that from a more expansive place. So in a way, we are building a deeper relationship and understanding with ourselves, like a, a deeper sense of trust. Like we've always had it. We, it's totally. always been here. Totally. But instead, we're grabbing the book and wondering what are the five steps to not be triggered anymore what are six ways to do five things to have a conversation that ends with them loving me exactly yeah Hmm. when the answers are there we just have to learn to listen so what does that listening uh look or slash feel like and and when we say like somatic experiencing what does that really ultimately mean Mm -hmm. so somatic experiencing is the work of peter levine And I mean, a lot of practitioners come at it from all kinds of different perspectives. So I come at it from a body-based practice. Other people will be more, say, counselors or psychologists. So they're going to bring different approaches to the method. But ultimately, somatic experiencing is about learning to listen to the language of our autonomic nervous system. So learning to understand our survival physiology. And what that looks like is really understanding how it is we respond when in threat. So throughout our day, we're constantly being exposed to changes in our environment, right? So how is it we respond to those changes? So if we had a really healthy nervous system and we didn't have trauma, which trauma is ultimately just us stuck in one of those survival patterns, If we didn't have trauma and we had all kinds of regulation on board, we would constantly be adapting to whatever's showing up in our life. So if I'm out for a walk, I'm going to be more connected to myself and to my environment, and it'll be more of a, we'll call it an expansive experience where I'm just in my in my state, in my environment, doing my thing. But then if I hear a twig snap in the bush, I want my system to move into alertness. I want to be able to analyze what's happening. Is this dangerous? Isn't this dangerous? How do I need to respond? So if that happens, I'm moving out of feeling a little more connected and chill into like, oh, I'm on alert. And to throw some nervous system terms in there, my sympathetic nervous system kicks in. And there's a little more alertness. My heart rate's increasing a little. And as I orient my surroundings to decide, okay, is this dangerous or not? Then, you know, I respond to whatever's happening. Oh, it's just a a branch falling out of a tree. Great. I carry on. I move out of that alert state back into feeling connected and, and good to go. 
But if I see something that's a threat, then I want that sympathetic system to turn on even more and make a decision here. Do I need to run? Do I need to protect myself in some way because something's coming at me? Right? I need to be able to respond to whatever is happening. Once that threat, so let's just say I'm walking through the woods, I hear the branch, and then I look and I see a bear. I want to be able to respond in a way that helps me and allows me to escape from that bear. Right? Mm-hmm. Then as I escape, you know, still sympathetic system is on, I'm running, I'm getting the hell out of there. And then I get home and I realize I'm safe. I want to be able to settle back down and be able to rest and recover from that threat. So ultimately, that's what's happening throughout our day all the time. And when we have a healthy nervous system, we respond as we need to respond, and we're able to settle when we are safe and can settle again. Versus a dysregulated nervous system, or if we have a lot of trauma on board, we might be doing the same thing, going for a walk, but we might even already be on guard. We might already be hearing sounds as if there already is danger all around me. I might be a bit more braced. I might hear that stick and instantly freeze because I don't know what to do. And there's a bear there and I don't even like I all of a sudden I'm stuck and I can't do anything about it. Or maybe that bear starts approaching me and something kicks in and I do find a way to get the hell out of there. But then I get home and I'm feeling anxious and I can't really settle myself and I stay anxious and then I carry on in my day and I'm kind of just always on. And you know, I can only sustain that for so long. And before you know it, it's like, oh, I crash in the middle of the day and I'm just not feeling motivated. I'm not feeling inspired. And it's just this dysregulation that ends up happening where I'm not able to adapt to whatever my environment's presenting. It's more, I'm just always on or always off or just all over the place. This work is about supporting the dysregulation to become more regulated. So we're moving towards shifting out of these states of always being either on or off and moving into moving towards ultimately being more regulated. So being able to dance in and out of the healthy activated response when there is a potential threat to then rest, digest, chill out. Yeah. And I would imagine, cause I, I used to work in, um, pharmaceutical sales. And one of the drugs that I sold when I first started was for irritable bowel syndrome. Mm. And the reason I bring this up is it reminds me of once I started selling that drug, I, I, I remember anyone who had irritable bowel syndrome would then automatically tell me about their stool and all the things. It was really <laughs> very <Good> interesting. <laughs> right. That's why now when I, I can talk about poo at any time, because Literally, yeah. I had to talk about stool at lunch with people. Amazing. Uh, but what was fascinating about people telling me about their experience of what they were going through was that I found that almost all, I'm only saying that because there's probably one who maybe quite wasn't, but I'd say 100% of the time, they were highly constricted people. They were type A, vigilant um, constantly on watch, uh, presented and made their way through the world well. Uh, but what was interesting was to observe their constricted nature. And, and when I started to learn about the nervous system and, and how when you're in threat 
Like your body's not like, hey, we should normalize our stool right now. We should, peristalsis is the number one priority right now. Uh, not at all. It's like, let's get out of here. So uh, it would make sense just based on what you're saying that they would be sort of stuck in this dysregulated, vigilant space. Would that make sense? Uh, did I get that? hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And that's honestly where most of the world is at, right? We're either stuck on or stuck off where there is a sense of always having to be on, right? Not being able to really rest and connect, not really able to find that regulation. And because of that, when we are on, when our sympathetic system is more on, our nervous system that's responsible for resting and digesting is ultimately off. It's like, yeah, the priority isn't getting good sleep right now. The priority is surviving. The priority isn't digesting and taking a good shit the priority is how do i survive right now and that's yeah a lot of the world is in this state of how do i just survive to me that seems so like it, it seems like the body without intentional work and practice and this has been true of my own experience um can't differentiate between a stressful job uh, a dysfunctional partnership uh, stressful friendships, the news, mm -hmm. uh, 2020, what the fuck, yeah. you know, like yeah. it's, I, I would imagine that the body can't say like, yeah, but it's just my job work life balance. I'll just go golfing <laughs> on the weekend, yeah. but you can't just leave it at the office. You can't just, you know, and, and is that correct? Totally. And that's why I think I, well, that's why I know I love this work is because, Ultimately, we're learning to support the body and how it's showing up right now. And it's not about like trying to convince ourselves like, hey, you're not at work anymore. Stop being stressed. It's like, no, my body is stressed. My body is anxious right now. How do I support that? And what's really cool is our body has no sense of time, right? It's more or less just our higher brain. A little bit of our midbrain can deal with some memory stuff. But for the most part, our body has no sense of time. So even if something happened to us way back in the day that caused us to be stuck in this survival state, it doesn't matter. We don't have to necessarily go back and look at all these situations of what happened to us. It's more like, okay, stress is showing up right now. Anxiety is showing up right now. This experience of just trying to survive my day is showing up right now. How do I support that? Because yeah, we can't differentiate like, this is good and this is bad. It's not like, no, I just need to survive this right now. Mm, I, I find that such a really beautiful opportunity because mm. it means that no longer do I have to sit down and be like, okay, well, when I was four, what, the, which not to say that that can't serve a benefit for people totally. who, who are doing that work. It certainly can. There are many gateways to healing. And I think it's really beautiful that there's this opportunity, like, I don't have to go into all that. Mm -hmm. What I have to do is observe and love the way my body has tried to survive based on what I've experienced. And here's how it's showing up now. So I love what you're saying because it makes me think like you're present with gratitude and observation of the wisdom and information that is literally being shared in that very present moment. And if you get really, because in the sessions that we've done, what I love is I it's there's such a invitation 
to the observation of the smallest nuance mm -hmm. that my conscious mind wouldn't even notice the wave of, wouldn't even notice this slight Mm -hmm. And and I I love that you guide it so intuitively of like what's the you know and I'm like oh, <laughs> totally. oh yeah shit didn't even know that was there <laughs> right and and I, that means it's not like I have to talk about what's occurred but is available if needed but to observe where it came from and how it shows up today I think that's such oh, it it really just brings a sense of gratitude to my body for how it's been programmed to survive and being like hey. You can chill out for a bit. Yeah, exactly. And that's important. Like I, I often see these pieces, our survival patterns ultimately as our allies. It's like you've helped me, right? Like you've helped me and I am not you. I think mm. that's important to recognize. You right? helped me and I am not you. Like yeah. there's a differentiation and also a welcoming. Exactly. Mm. Which can be so supportive because if we're just fighting and trying to change these pieces of us that, you know, we might want to change, there's just a fight happening. There's this conflict happening. There's this war happening when it's like, hey, we're in the war together and actually the war is over. Ooh, so yeah. I invite you to go home. I was listening to a talk from Francis Weller just this morning on my walk where I felt expansive. In it, he said, we try to defeat the painful parts of ourselves, not realizing that that's where the soul resides, mm. that we are Beautiful. an ascension and resurrection culture where we are afraid of the depth and the darkness, and it is where the soul lives. And I was like, whoa. Well, I yeah. just got shivers. And that's so like <laughs> this guy, I keep listening oh. to his work and I'm like, he merges the psychology, the psychotherapy with the soul. And I think it's like, you know, it's like Ram Dass, it's like Alan Watts. But yeah, you know, it, I love what you're saying because in the depth of that dance is is where all of that resides. Like we, we there's no need to be afraid of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're in the war together, but the war is over. I love that line. That yeah. to me is like such a beautiful acknowledgement yeah. that there's no need to leave anything behind, but there's yeah. actually a coming home that's occurring. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how does one begin? So let's actually first, before we get into that, I want to understand you said we can be stuck on and we can be stuck off. Mm -hmm. What does stuck off look like? Because that to me is like, Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> like I get to just... Uh, hands up here. Yep, I've been there. Yeah. Does that mean I get to just chill and eat ice cream and watch Netflix? Or like, right. I don't... I'm not concerned about everything. These people... Yeah. I used to be one of those people too. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, what does that look like? Because I feel like we all dream of that, but that it sounds like that can be a state we can be stuck in too. Totally. Yeah, so the stuck on state is more of that sympathetic energy, that fight flee energy, that anxiousness, that go go go, which we see often in this world, right? Like I can't stop. I got to always be doing. The other end of that is being in more of a freeze state. And what's interesting with freeze is if we look at our survival states, we've got fighting, fleeing, 
and shutting down, freezing. And freeze is like our last resort. It's like, I can no longer fight or flee. I got to shut it down, put the brakes on. Let's just like hide, calm. Yeah, everything. I'm not good. here. If yeah, I don't I'm move, here. no one will notice. Exactly. So how that shows up in day-to-day life is, I mean, I 100% still am by, you know, ongoing process here. But freeze can often look like, yeah, everything's cool. Like everything's great. Everything's awesome. Like nothing bothers me. I remember driving with my mom the other day and I had a bit of road rage because, you know, I do. I've had and, that sometimes. Right? Here. <laughs> and my mom was like, when you were younger, you never would have responded like that. You would have just been like, oh, whatever. It's fine. Go ahead. And I was like, yeah, good point. Because literally nothing would bug me. Everything was great, you know? And to me, that was great. Life was great. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yet I couldn't really feel, right? Mm -hmm. I could feel one thing, but I access to all the other emotions was like, what? How do I feel anger? How do I feel? How do I feel grief? You know, how do I feel anything other than like life's pretty good? Um, So that's one way it can show up where we just have this shut down to feeling anything because feeling anything is too much. We can also experience shutdown or freeze in another way of, I actually don't want to be involved in the world at all. Like, Mm. you know, keep me quiet, keep me safe, keep me perceived safe, keep me inside, you know, depression would fall into this big time where it's like, I don't want to be involved in much at all. I just want to avoid the world, right? Mm -hmm. So freeze can show up in lots of different ways and we can have all of these things. We can experience depression or experience a sense of just wanting to retreat and hide. We can experience, you know, everything's good and I don't feel anything. Or we can experience, whoa, I'm really anxious and really stressed. It's not like I'm one or the other, but my invitation is for people to start to notice like, what's your normal? Oh, my normal is I'm always on the go. And I don't love the word normal, but you know, what do you find yourself in for the most part? Oh, I'm always on the go. And I, I have a hard time slowing down. I go to a yoga class and Shavasana is the worst pose ever. Cause why would I just lie here? <laughs> they always right? say that's the hardest pose in a book. It's <laughs> totally. an invitation to nap. Yeah. Say. Right. <laughs> when ultimately it's the invitation to move out of the, the sympathetic system of being on in a, you know, Sympathetic isn't always this bad thing. It's not at all a bad thing. It's like fight flee is good when we need it. Being on to be active is good when we need it. But then can we come down afterwards at the end of a yoga class and really rest and come more into that parasympathetic parasympathetic state of really just chilling, right? Whereas most people who are always on are going to be like, whoa, I can't rest here. I've got to constantly be moving a foot or my mind is going crazy or I feel myself really fidgety and wanting to just get up off my mat. And when is this class over? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's more normal for me. That's more my state. Or I'm more in the state of, oh, everything's awesome. Everything's good. Like nothing bothers me. It's all good. (laughs) Right. Or I'm more into the state of like not wanting to interact with people, not wanting to engage, not wanting to take part in life. Ultimately, that's just information for you. Right. Where am I at within my nervous system state right now? Really on totally numb to what I'm actually feeling or just shut down and wanting to retreat. 
So the observation of are you more stuck on, are you more stuck off, or are you actually in a state where you're neither? In some sense, you're <laughs> totally. not. You're like, I don't want to even interact with my nervous system yeah, in any way. Exactly. I think of that from a relational perspective, no matter if it's romantic or any relationship, that we you know, we sort of have a hard time regulating ourselves in our interactions with other when our needs are possibly in conflict with other when our beliefs, our feelings are possibly that we think that an opposing view means our view might be negated that that we're that we won't be validated. And so in relationship, we're so used to self abandoning. I think that's true of almost everybody. Yeah. And and so then when we're single, we're like, cool, I got my poop in a group. No big deal. Nothing's going to happen. I'm, I'm great. I've got my shit figured out. I read a book. I did a course, you know, whatever it is. And then we start relating again and we're like, oh, shit, because mm-hmm. I don't know how to regulate me with them. And yes. so can we talk a bit about, because I think that's ultimately the dance is, you know, because as you were saying that tap out, like I'm just not going to participate is also this inability to to regulate oneself in the company of other. Mm-hmm. So for people to understand from a nervous system perspective, what is it about our nervous system in the company of other nervous systems and and how can they work together and not always because it often feels like it's in opposition, you know, it's like, I guess I'll just avoid everyone in my nervous system and be fine, you know, so curious about what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think, I think that's really important that you bring that up, because ultimately, we are tribal human beings, you know, we are designed to be in community, we are designed to support one another and, and move through life with that support. And, that's not always the case nowadays. A lot of people do isolate or keep themselves separate. And and that relationship piece is so, so valuable. And it's such a challenging, uh, challenging opportunity to Mm -hmm. really explore where am I at? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think ultimately the first piece is recognizing how am I with other, right? There's opportunity to recognize what are my survival patterns here? When I'm with other people, what is it that kicks in? How do I protect myself, right? Or how do I keep myself safe? And is that by keeping people at a distance? Is that by getting defensive? Is that by um, shutting down and, and avoiding what I'm actually feeling, right? What is it I'm doing? So that's the first piece is really start to get curious of when I'm in relationship with other, what what patterns kick in? What allies step in to help me, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's important to first start recognizing because then it's like, oh, when I'm in a relationship with a person or when I'm meeting up with friends or when I'm with my family, how can I start to recognize when I'm stepping out of my truth and into one of my survival patterns? And what might that look like? So for me, for example, it's like I can notice when I'm moving towards a group of people, there might be a bracing or like a protection that I feel across my chest or I feel 
maybe my vision gets narrower or, you know, for me, again, it's very somatic. It's very much, what is my body doing and how can I start to become curious about that? So as I approach this group of people, I notice myself bracing a little, holding my breath a little and feeling this tightness around my chest. Great. I'm aware of what's happening in my body as I approach my friends. So then there's this opportunity to be curious, like we talked about earlier about the edges. It's like, okay, well, the allies stepping in, this bracing's kicking in, this tightening around my chest is happening. Hey, ally, like, great, you're here to fight the war with me because I perceive relationship as dangerous, Mm -hmm. right? And what part of me knows that I'm okay? What part of me feels whole in this? What part of me feels connection in this? What part of me feels, you know, that this need to step into the survival pattern isn't actually required? And how can this piece support the ally to recognize that the job's actually not needed right now? You can do less, right? The edge of going into this protection is there, but how can I soften the edge so that that less protection is needed so that the ally can start to recognize, hey, wait, there isn't a danger here and I can back Mm -hmm. off. I can, you know, eventually go home and I don't need you. So the more we can start to recognize our patterns and how they show up in relationship, like the more we can find the edges of that, be curious on how to support ourselves in that. And I think a real important piece in that is like, what part of me feels whole? What part of me feels okay? What part of me feels safe? What part of me is willing to connect? And that it's important to recognize isn't always available, especially if we have um, had trauma from a very young age or, um, you know, there's so many ways trauma can show up in our life. But if the idea of feeling safe and feeling connection and feeling in relationship with other was never established as something that was okay, then slightly different story, but there can still be an exploration around how how you respond in relationship and then what part of you feels okay or feels mm-hmm. less at threat so that there can be this dance in between like, okay, you're there if I need you to protect me or I can be a little less on guard, a little less yeah, needing to protect and brace ultimately for this perceived threat. Well, and that sounds like you can begin one through somatic experiencing, you become sort of relating to yourself the safe, secure connection. Mm-hmm. That, Although I would imagine it's helpful to have that modeled for you through an interventionalist, like a somatic therapist, a therapist, a coach, someone whose own nervous system is regulated in 100%. order to become like a reference point, a fulcrum, a, a, an opportunity. It is Does, if I remember correctly, the nervous system can on an unconscious level relate to a a regulated nervous system. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Co-regulation. Whoa. What is that? It sounds like um, (laughs) lovemaking for the nervous system. Right. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) So this is why interaction with others is so important because if we are with people who have more regulation on board where they know what it means to be safe, they know what connection feels like and that connection is okay they're ultimately this like grounding force of like hey i'm here with you and it's okay Mm. and there's this opportunity for the nervous system that has more dysregulation on board to start to experiment with the concept of that it's like oh wait you i'm freaking out but you're not Mm. oh interesting okay 
oh, wait, maybe it is okay to hear and maybe I can experiment with the idea of that. Maybe I can explore the idea of that because I have this other person here who's modeling something very different. And I think that's huge in relationship, especially in a romantic relationship where, you know, when someone gets triggered, if you're both triggered, poof, that's, you know, how do you, how do you navigate that versus if one person's triggered and the other person can hold that space of like, oh yeah, I, I, I'm here with you. I see you're moving into one of your pieces, one of your, your traumas, one of your pieces that feel really activating and I'm here with you. Mm, and that can be enough to just oh. breathe with them. Yeah, just holding that space of I'm here with you and it's okay. When I think about the different types of attachment style, you know, I think about for an anxious person dating, let's say someone who's secure, mm -hmm. the secure person, if they have the, um, you know, I think it becomes like this level of like, when are you going to start to move into a regulated state? Like I can participate with you in this dysregulation, but I, you know, I need to feel some sense of progress which of course comes with patience and the desire for both people to work through that. What I find interesting about avoidance uh, or fleeing is that because there's a distancing that happens between us and other, we don't necessarily get the opportunity to experience co-regulation. And you know, that's probably why avoidance as an attachment style gets a real bad rap. You know, it mm -hmm. does it in that it one, it triggers anxious people. And I mean, it triggers everybody, but it especially <laughs> triggers anxious people. Uh, and it's, it's rejecting, it's abandoning. And so it's, it can be very wounding, but we often don't have compassion that it is the exact same. It's a, the same response to insecurity or dysregulation. It just is a different way. It's a different ally. And that oh. ally gets persecuted a lot. And I wonder what is it that someone whose ally is the distancing or is avoidance, mm -hmm. uh, what is something that they can do? I'm sure everyone can do these things on their own, but what is something they can do just to move closer and, and get to that state where they experience like you actually are safe, you actually are, you know? Yeah, I think it's important to recognize that the avoidance is happening because the connection and the safety doesn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'll avoid because co-regulating with someone is scary as hell. Why would I do that? That doesn't feel safe. So to recognize first, like, oh, I'm avoiding because this doesn't feel okay. Right. And same with anxious. It's like I'm anxious because I need that other piece. I need that other connection because without that, I'm not okay. So this exploration of the scary pieces. Right? So for the avoidant, it's like, ooh, tapping into some connection here or tapping into being seen or being supported or or having someone that's safe, that feels really scary. So what does the scariness feel like? How do I experience that? Mm. So again, it's dipping into my response of, oh, Okay, what's happening for me here? Ooh, this like I can feel and my tight chest, my chest tightening in the sense of like, oh, get me out of here. I want to run, right? Oh, interesting. There's this run feeling of wanting to run. So yeah, great. I know that response really well. That's my go-to. That's my ammo. What happens if I stay for just a second longer? 
Can I get more information about my experience in this? Can I get uncomfortable as I explore the edges of this? And what happens if I don't run? Oh, interesting. There's another response that shows up. All of a sudden, my breath is changing. And all of a sudden, there's this sense of an expansion happening in my chest or something. What Mm. is that? I don't know, right? But there's this window of like, how do I not just travel down the same road I always travel down? And I just explore this other road just a tiny bit to see what might be down that road, knowing my other roads there if I need it. Boom. Okay, great. I'm out of here. But for a moment there, I checked out this other road and I I explored what was happening there for me, what else might be possible down that road. And eventually there's this opportunity to recognize the other road has a nice scene along Mm. the way. And (laughs) it's actually pretty enjoyable. And this feeling of connection, although scary, also feels really good. And I actually feel seen and it's okay and I feel connection and it's okay. Is it? No. Okay. Back down my other road. I'm going mm-hmm. down and I'm, I'm avoiding again. Right. But there's this opportunity to explore what's happening and how can you get uncomfortable just a little bit so you can start to discover that something else is possible. doesn't mean you can't just run again, go for it, you know, but there's room. I love how you differentiate that, like putting your toe in, but mm-hmm. recognizing that the other road is always there. Mm-hmm. That And I know for some people, they they might think, oh, well, that's an escape route. That's one foot in, one foot out. Although I do see that as being, I mean, there's always an escape route, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Uh, so going after someone because they have one yeah. <laughs> is kind of interesting because it's like we don't want to acknowledge that we have one too. Yes, good point. And that... I find that to be an interesting way that we create a hierarchy of like, you think about leaving, I don't. And it's like, Mm. do you not? Or do you just (laughs) have a higher sense of tolerance? And somewhere someone taught you that you have to live through everything, because that's what relationship is. And that becomes this really interesting, uh, righteous space of self abandonment that it can be. And when I think about my own personal avoidance. And I think of like when that really switched for me was when I was 19. I remember after when I was 27, after I had ended my engagement, I went on these dates with this really, really incredible woman. And I remember sitting with her, laying with her on a couch and her saying to me, now, granted, I was in no place for a relationship. I was in the try to figure out how the fuck I got here and how do I never get to this place of self-abandonment again? I don't believe in marriage. I don't believe in anything. (laughs) You know, it was easier that way. (laughs) And she was just this really incredible woman. And I remember her saying to me, I'm really starting to like you. Oh my God. My body (laughs) went into like (gasps) my stomach. I remember all of it. Danger, danger, danger. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. And it would take me years before I realized uh, the impact of my avoidance. Like, I ran from her. I ghosted her. Don't worry if you're listening and you're like, you fucking ghosted her. You talk about, I apologized years later when I recognized what I did. Ghosting wasn't an available term. They just called you a shithead. But (laughs) I did. And I repaired that years later when I recognized. But it's amazing how much 
avoidance ran my life because I didn't dance. And what you were saying, like I was thinking about that moment as you were talking about the different roads and the road that was new that led to her to closeness, to presence, to to actually sitting with what she said and, and receiving it was like total loss of self, mm-hmm. uh, betrayal, sadness, and not believing, like believing if I opened my heart to this person, they would break me mm-hmm. because she could actually love me. You know, and that, I think if you're listening and you're someone who is avoidant or you date unavailable people or you sabotage good things, this is such an important go- road to go down. This like other road of, I'm curious, Nicole, where, how does it show up from a somatic perspective or nervous system perspective, why we actually ignore the uh, red flags or the actual, this isn't safe, you know, and then we put ourselves in dysregulated, like, is it a familiarity of dysregulation that becomes home? And so it's like, nor- so if I go to where there is safety and security, I actually, that's too foreign and I don't know how to get into that state. Like, I'm curious about that from a body perspective. I mean, ultimately, we love to, to move towards what's familiar, right? Hence mm-hmm. why we often end up in very similar relationships and <laughs> similar situations because it's like, oh, this I know and I can navigate my way through this. And something that's unfamiliar is scary. So how that's going to show up is going to, I mean, be so different in each individual, but ultimately it's noticing when there's resistance to something because where there's resistance, there's always room to learn. Mm-hmm. So if we use you for an example, right, in that situation, she expresses her feelings to you and there's resistance to that, right? There's this like, whoo, I'm out. So my my body my body was still there, but I was gone. I was, <laughs> exactly. I was already planning the escape route. <laughs> exactly. In that moment, the capacity might not have even been there to explore the other road. I think that's also important to recognize is like, what's the capacity? So then it's like, okay, I'm bolting, I'm out. And then in the next relationship, it shows up again. Okay, is there a different capacity here? Or is there room to start exploring this other road and this resistance to the idea of this? And yeah, how it shows up for each individual when you're starting to explore the unfamiliar Ultimately, it's just uncomfortable. However that shows up for you, it's like, oh, it's just uncomfortable. And then the question (laughs) is, is there room to explore it? And what I often talk about is like with feelings of discomfort, whether this is exploring a different road or just activation in general, we want to move towards feeling it and moving through it. And I often talk about riding the wave of it where it's like, I feel something uncomfortable and how do I stay with this uncomfortable sensation, this uncomfortable experience? Again, from a somatic perspective, but we are also bringing in the bigger picture. We're we're looking at everything. It's not just my body and how does my body respond, but how am I also showing up with my words and and with my behavior and my actions, right? But when I'm uncomfortable, can I stay in the discomfort a little bit longer to see if something new starts to happen? And then there's a shift out of the discomfort into a recognition of, and I'm okay. 
So sometimes it's like, I'm going to get uncomfortable and actually I'm not okay staying in this discomfort. And then I do whatever I do. I run again or, you know, I avoid or whatever I need to do to, to then settle myself and make myself feel okay. But the more we start to explore these places of feeling uncomfortable, the more we can start to discover that something else is possible and I can move through that. And there's this organic shift into oh, wait, that wasn't that bad, and actually I'm okay. So now this new road is becoming more and more available for me to travel down as I get uncomfortable. Again, the next time it's less intense, but I can still be in the discomfort. Is it okay to be in the discomfort? Is it okay to be curious in this, see what else can happen? And then all of a sudden there's this organic shift again, and oh, actually it wasn't that bad, and now I have a different association to what I thought was really scary and really impossible and felt extreme resistance to. And now there's actually space to feel into that. It's less extreme. It's more available. And yeah, my other highway might still be there, but I'm less likely to travel down it. Or I'm more aware when I travel down it, or I'm making the choice to travel down it Mm, instead of it just being an instant boom, go. So how it shows up is tricky, but recognize it as resistance or something that's uncomfortable. Then you're on a good track. Well, and then I it makes me think about the, so for someone who is used to dating people or being in a relationship with people where there is that chaos and activation, that the discomfort is actually in the lack of chaos and activation. So the Mm -hmm. other path is actually like got flowers and birds singing and, (laughs) you know, that where it's actually this foreign experience. It's, it's really interesting to me that peaceful is can be a foreign discomfort that we don't want to seek. Mm-hmm. And I get it because as someone who is certainly busy, busy, busy all the time to then be in a relationship with Kai, who's like slow, slow, slow. And I'm like, oh, oh, wow. There's a whole other world here. You can hear a lot more. You're present more. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. I'm present to myself. It, it, what it sounds like you're really inviting us to do is to really breathe in each moment, to mm-hmm. like wake up to noticing so much of our experience to that we, because if you're not noticing just your your somatic responses, your emotional experience, your body, you're probably not noticing bird singing and good things and how good chocolate can taste rather than chocolate be the the path, you know? That, that you're exactly. choosing to eat it for its, I mean, let's be honest, it's delicious. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't need to be a re- resource. It can be just something that we enjoy. Well, and you said in there previously, like, that we choose the path. Like, the highway is there, but we choose it rather than just end up down it and like, how did I get here again? Mm-hmm. You know, and oh, it's all about that, like, invitation to presence. and. Yeah. So for for the listener who's like, wait, okay, there's a lot of cool shit in here. And oh my God, I can't wait to get into somatic experiencing. I can't wait to navigate this. And I love that this is the invitation to work in conjunction with the psychology or and bypass the need to do that sometimes and actually get right into the body. And all of a sudden, years of things we've been working on are like, oh, hello. Oh, that just shifted and I no longer associate with that anymore. What the hell? Right. It's the most powerful work I've ever experienced. And 
you know, I, I know that you don't necessarily do one-on-ones anymore and work with people one-on-one. I sort of got in on the tail end of that, thank God. But <laughs> I'm curious, um, do you, where do people find you? What is uh, a way that they can access the information that you're sharing and start to do this work and bring this information into their lives? Mm-hmm. So lots of options. Ultimately, I'm, of course, want to support as many people as possible in exploring this work because I feel it's such a valuable piece of information that we're not taught. We're not taught how to listen to our body. We're not taught how to explore our experiences somatically and really understand what's happening from a bigger picture perspective. So free content, I of course want to create as much free content as I can to invite these explorations to start to happen. So got videos on YouTube and Instagram that you can definitely geek out on. And then I also have a four module program where in four modules, I give you all the answers. No, just joking. (laughs) (laughs) In four modules, there's at least a lot of invitation to really start to explore things from this perspective and gain way more tools on how to support yourself from this perspective to really understand what it means to look at the survival states, understand where you're in these survival states and how to then start to move out of these survival states and find different highways to travel down. And that program is called Discover. And I would love to have anyone join that at any time. Ultimately, I'm breaking it down into two components where you can just explore the content on your own. And then there's the community side of things. And to me, community is so important. Connecting with other people who are on the same journey. uh, Also, that's where you can get a little more one-on-one support from me. Answering questions, I do Q&As, we do check-in calls. Where there's this opportunity to be held in that space of like, I'm here with you and it's okay. Not just by myself, Mm, but by my team and by by the co-regulation by others who are on this journey. So there's the content if you want to just explore the content. And then there's the community, which to me is the where the juice lies. Yeah, it's where the rubber hits the road, essentially, totally. right? You take these skills, but then you see the evidence of exactly. the awareness. Okay, so you said your Instagram. What's your Instagram? My N-Lows, so N-L-O-H-S-E. Perfect. And, and then your website? YouTube. NicoleLose.com. So N-I-C-O-L-E-L-O-H-S-E. Kind of like Mickey Mouse, but. Dot <laughs> 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 com. And then, and yeah, then YouTube is same, just my name, Nicole Lowe's. Awesome. Well, yeah, and all my informations. I mean, you know, social media, you just find information all over the place. So the program information's on there. and Perfect. I would yeah. imagine everyone is excited to be like, okay, I need to do this work and I get it. Uh, it's been incredible for me and I'm going to continue to do it because I feel like I've tapped into something even deeper, you know, deeper parts of myself. You know, there's more presence to sort of like, it's weird. Somatically, it feels like presence to my spinal cord, mm, you know, which beautiful. is really interesting. Cool. Yeah. Um, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this information with everyone and for helping all of us uh, regulate better, get out of our, get out of on and get out of off, which sounds exactly. (laughs) Thanks so much. No need to be on or off. Just be. Just be. Exactly. Thank you so much, Nicole. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. 
Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.